If you're here looking around at different ministries, wondering where home's gonna be for you, we'd love to kind of help you figure that out, give you a little taste of what we're like, what we're about. And the best I can do that is talk about these first few verses. These are things that are already true of God and that we want to be true in RUF. And it's this. God is a God who meets you where you are and never leaves you stuck there. We're aiming and have been for decades for RUF at UGA to be a community of people that will meet you where you are and not leave you stuck there. I kind of compare it to an ambulance. Isn't it a great thing when an ambulance meets you where you are when you dial 911? Wouldn't it be a horrible thing if the ambulance stayed where it found you? (laughs) Had nothing left to give you other than saying, we're here for you, we're here for you, but couldn't take you anywhere. Couldn't take you to a place where healing happens, restoration, rehabilitation, where there's more resources. We are aiming for RUF to be a place that will meet you wherever you are, which is why I never tire of describing the gospel this way, because where you are changes by the hour, changes by the day, changes by the relationship you're in, changes by the year. God is a God who has feet and eyes and ears and hands, and he's able to move and meet you where you are, but he never leaves his people stuck where they are. And so that's the gist of these first few verses. But I have a question for you first. Do you remember the biggest news story of the summer? Maybe second to World Cup stuff. If you're an England fan or whatever and you're heartbroken about that. Maybe second to the World Cup stuff. Do you remember what the biggest story of the summer was? It happened right in the middle of it. The very end of June, the very beginning of July. Yeah, 12 uh, Thai middle school aged soccer player boys and their coach were stuck miles deep into a cave, like a labyrinth of this cave. And they were stuck there. The last one that was rescued wouldn't be rescued until 18 days later, almost three weeks stuck in this cave. It was on every channel, even during the World Cup, there's like little banners on the bottom, you know, day 15 of the soccer player, you know, rescue in Thailand. It was all over the news, it was everywhere. And I saw a documentary on on this the other day that was actually interviewing all the little boys. They like brought all 12 of them out there and passed around a microphone. And these are like little kids, if if you've seen this. And um, the way that this thing started, the way that they got trapped in the cave is on June 23rd, they did something that that team did often. So they they, uh, rode their bikes the 45-minute drive from their village to the bottom of this mountain where the, the mouth of the cave was. And they always took food. They always took flashlights and supplies. And they'd done this dozens of times before. This was not unfamiliar terrain for them. So they go into the cave like they always do just to spend the afternoon as a team together. And what happened between the time they entered the cave and the time they got stuck is a giant monsoon rainstorm came and just drenched that mountain with inches and inches of water, which of course seep into the mountain, into the cave, and all of the creeks that run into that cave, the the lower spots in the cave, of course became like the Colorado River, just water pouring into this thing. And before they could know it, they were trapped. They tried to get back out the mouth of the cave. Water was coming at them. They were disoriented. They were lost. Their headlamps still worked, but they, the, the only place they could get to was 
this little like arch of a cave with a little piece of sand down here just big enough for the, tw- the 13 of them to sit on. And they were wondering, is the water going to keep rising or is it stopped right now? And that's where all of them would remain stuck for almost 18 days. Now, imagine the scene. Almost three weeks uh, after maybe three or four hours, all of the batteries and their flashlights are dead by that point. You're miles deep into a cave labyrinth that you have no idea how to get out of. You were running from water coming, so you're lost. It is pitch black dark. Have you ever been in pitch black dark? Like we're usually in kind of dark. Pitch black. Can't see your hand right here. Complete and utter silence. They'd connected the dots pretty early. You know, we can scream all we want, but like there's water surrounding us. Sound waves obviously don't go underwater and back up again. So they just stop even bothering screaming. There is no way anybody will know where they are or hear them there. It's wet. It's cold. It's silent. And they have small chance of thinking anyone would even know they're there. The reason I share this story with you up front before we take a look at a couple of these verses in this passage is this story and the scenario that I just laid out before you is a really fitting picture of our predicament. It's really parallel to our lives. Maybe this summer for you, maybe just life in general for you. And here's how. Just like those 13 people, we also just kind of gallivant and frolic around, seemingly very familiar in our lives and in our worlds, thinking we know the way around, thinking we're in control, thinking there's really no threats around us, but getting ourselves into trouble or confusion, or maybe we did something we never thought we would do, or we got ourselves into a situation we never imagined we would be in. We decided our way through little itty bitty yeses into addictive patterns that we never thought when we were younger that we would ever struggle with. And now we're, in, we're, we're captive to the way we relate to food, captive to the way we relate to sex, captive to the way we relate to money or shopping or whatever. And we don't know how we got there. It was such a casual little stroll. And by the time we realized we weren't in control, it was too late. And we're stuck. And we try and we try and we try to find all these escape routes, all these side tunnels to get back to where we were in control, to where we called the shots, to where the surroundings was familiar and known. And with every attempt, we get more and more hopeless, don't you? Don't we? We start spinning our wheels. We, We attempt to escape that place And with every attempt, we just realize, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. I can't get out of this place. I can't stop. And if you're honest, and if God has opened your eyes, you have come to a very painful yet hopeful place of realizing you can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't get yourself out of the places you've gotten yourself into whether it's just not relating to time really well or whether it's something really deep and dark and shameful or bad or scary, whether it's a family situation that you can't get yourself out of with your parents or their marriage or whatever, or whether it's a you situation. The story of these boys in that cave stuck and helpless, not able to get to help, 
is actually your story. This isn't news for a lot of you. It might be news for some of you. This is our story. This is how the Bible sees our story. This is how God, who is honest, sees our story. And this is exactly what this passage is about. And it's why Paul wrote this tiny little letter to this tiny little city in western Turkey filled with new Christians. Not people who grew up with this, you know, churchy background, but new Christians. And the reason he wrote it to them is they also were stuck in their own little caves that somehow or another they got into and had no clue how to get out of. And they were trying, 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 trying to find ways out under their own steam, their own power, their own cleverness, their own ideas, their own sweat and labor. And they needed to hear what I told you already. The God of the Bible, the true and living God, who claims to be the only God, is a God who meets you where you are. Because where else does he have to meet you? Where else would he meet you that would be helpful to you? Where else could he meet you that would lead to life? Could he, could he stand at the mouth of the cave and shout instructions? Could he stand above the cave and maybe send signals or something? Could he float in some manual or map of the cave system to get you out? No. This is a God. Jesus is a God who meets you where you are. And so let's turn back to the passage and look at a few ways where we see this happening. What is the evidence in this passage that Jesus meets you right where you are? How do you know that I'm not making this up? How can you sink your teeth into this and go home saying, Ben's not just trying to make me happy again. God said this. I can take this to the bank. Well, every single named person in the first eight verses of this letter are people that Jesus met right where they are. Very different places that they were, by the way. A a variety of places that he met right where they were. The first named person is the first letter, the first uh, word of the letter, Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus, a messenger of Jesus the King. This is Paul, who Jesus met where Paul was that first day, when Paul was on the way to execute Christians. There weren't many Christians around this time. Uh, Larry Hurtado in his book, Destroyer of the Gods, has, a, has an amazing kind of sociological study of the first 400 years of the ancient Near East, or, or uh, first century Palestine. First about 100 years of the church, there's probably less than 10,000 Christians in all of the known world. Uh, you know, uh, 100 years after that, around 200. The number's already, you know, up to three or 400,000. 100 years after that, around the time of Constantine and all this stuff, the number is exploding. And so he kind of says, well, maybe I need to get on board with this because I don't want an uprising. But at the time, nobody's a Christian. There are no cultural winds in the sails. There's no social pressure to go to church or be a good person. None of that. You're a, you're a unicorn if you're a Christian in this day and age, especially in Turkey. This isn't Jerusalem. Paul is on his way to snuff out the few Christians that were there, to nip it in the bud. Because he hated this this guy, Jesus, and what he stood for, and he didn't believe a word he said. And so Paul was going to go nip it in the bud. And Jesus met Paul on the way to murder his people, persecute his church. I'm telling you the truth when I say Jesus meets you where you are. 
Not where you think you need to be or where you think you should be. He meets you where you are. The next name that comes out of here is Timothy, our brother. Timothy is Paul's right-hand man. Timothy was a guy, you know this from 2 Timothy when Paul writes a letter and mentions this. Timothy was raised with a dad who, uh, Timothy was raised in kind of a religious house, not a Christian, but kind of a godly or a moral person. His dad wanted nothing to do with it. His dad uh, was Greek. He was kind of what they called at the time a pagan, just didn't believe any of this stuff. His mom was a pretty religious person. Timothy, at some point in his life, the light bulbs go on. He meets the living God. Jesus met Timothy where he was, at this place of pseudo-ignorance and just kind of clumsiness. And then there's this, the people that this letter's being written to. Like I said, a minority, an oppressed minority. People who didn't have a lot going for them. People who had no business believing this stuff if something bigger than them wasn't involved in it. If, if, if God himself was not somehow involved in, in turning their lives upside down or, or right side up and making them alive, these are not people who naturally would have stumbled upon this stuff and put their faith in a man from another country, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who claimed to be the king of all the world and all of history. Jesus met the Colossians off the map where they lived, at the fringes, at the margins, at the sides of what was really going down and where the good things were happening. What does it look like then for Jesus to meet these people where they are? What does it look like for him to meet you where you are? Whether you resonate with any of those little profiles that have popped up so far, the religious background person, the atheistic I hate God background that Paul uh, shared, the self-righteous background, or just the kind of doing my thing, didn't even really know this stuff was a big deal background of the Colossians. What did it look like for Jesus to meet them where they were? He met him with his word. That sounds abstract. Sounds weird. Sounds impersonal. What it looks like for Jesus to meet someone where they are is to meet them through what Paul calls here the word of truth, or he calls it the gospel, which means good news. But this word, what's the word about? What's the gospel about? It's a story. What's the story about? The word of truth is, is the word, the news, the claim, the reality that God is a God who meets you where you are and doesn't leave you stuck there. And that's good news. And this is not news that was, that was familiar to anybody. None of the other religions at the time, nothing like this was going on. Gods were beings that sat in the heavens and scoffed at you that demanded, figure out your way to get to us. Be it the Egyptian pantheon or the Greek pantheon or the Babylonian gods or whatever. No one had heard of a God who said, I've taken on flesh, become one of you to meet you where you are in the cave, not at the mouth of the cave, mocking you for getting stuck. Not shouting strategies to get yourself unstuck but swimming back to the furthest reaches of where you have found yourself, maybe where I have gotten myself to bring you out. That's what the word of truth is. It's a historical claim that this happened for real, in real life, not pretend, but it happened in real life. That's what the word of truth is. And lest you think this is impersonal and like, so does that mean God just kind of throws a book at you and says, hey, read this story? 
He didn't do that with any of them, and he's not done it with any of you. Look at who brought the word of truth to all of this. Quite literally, these people heard it, and their eardrums vibrated, and they heard it as words they could understand because Epaphras, this servant, brought it to them. He met them where they were. You see the same theme and pattern? Epaphras walks his way to, boom, your coordinates, shares this reality with you. He says, guess you didn't know this. The God, the living God of all reality, of all history, who is eternal and has no beginning and no end, meets you at your doorstep. Jesus stands at the door and knocks, not down the street and calls, but he shows up to where you are and he meets you there. Epaphras took that message and met him literally on their doorstep. Paul took that message and took it around the the world at the time and met people where they were. These missionaries, pastors, preachers, prophets took it around and met people where they were. Jesus doesn't figuratively meet you where you are. He literally meets you where you are. For some of you, right now is what I'm talking about. You're being met right now. You're being confronted right now with a historical claim, with a real claim that you can go investigate, you can search out, you can check other evidence. He's confronting you on your doorstep right now, your coordinates, however you showed up here tonight. You're tired from rush, you bitter about your family in the summertime, whatever, you scare, insecurities just drowning you with all the new people you're around. However, wherever you are, Jesus is literally meeting you where you are right now with words of grace, with words of mercy, with words of hope, with words of help. You have friends, you have parents, you have mentors, whatever. You have roommates who daily meet you where you are at your doorstep. Your ears hear the noise, the sound, the words. Jesus doesn't figuratively meet you where you are. He literally meets you where you are with his grace. He's got your coordinates. He knows where you live and he comes to you. And so when you hear us say, time after time after time, RUF is a place where we wanna meet you where you are and not leave you stuck there. All we're trying to do is love in the way we've been loved. That's it. This isn't some savvy strategy we came up with in some focus group. All we're trying to do is to say, I was a, I'm a man who Jesus met me where I was. I was sitting back there and I was this confused, clueless 22-year-old who had just graduated and been invited to RUF a thousand times and never came because I thought it sounded weird. And he met me there with the story of the prodigal son. That's what did it for me. I'd heard that story a billion times growing up. And it's the story of a father meeting a son where the son was in the pigsty, walking back on the road, reciting his, please take me back and let me be a slave in your house. And the father runs to meet him where he was with all of who the father was, his grace, his power, his mercy, his welcome. Are you believing me now? I'm not making this up. This is the God of the Bible. He always moves. He always leaves where he is to meet you where you are. Why? You can't get to him. You can't get to him. Can we talk about an elephant in the room real quick? If you're a Christian, if you grew up in the church, I bet you that we forget this daily, if not hourly, and we contort Christianity into some weird system of getting yourself back to God. 
right? Of finding your way back to him, finding your way out of what you did this summer or what you didn't do this summer. Finding a way to make amends, finding a way to fix it, finding a way to put the genie back in the bottle or unsay the words you said or whatever. Finding a way to get out of the place of what's happened to you at the hands of other people. We revert back so quickly to not to, to, to forgetting that God is a God who meets us where we are and we think, here's your default religion of your heart. I don't care if you're whatever you say you are, where you stand with God, if you even believe in the God I'm talking about. We revert back to a default place of thinking, I've got to get to where I think God is. And where you and I in our doubts think God is is anywhere but where we are. Am I right? <laughs> Give me some nods so I could not feel alone in this moment. Am I right? The normal resting heart rate of your soul is thinking God is anywhere but where I am. And just in a knee-jerk response, you try to start finding your way back to him. Through moral effort, through better New Year's resolutions, through an app that reminds you to be serious this time. Stop looking at that. Start doing this. Get up at six. Stop wasting your life. Right? This is our lives. This is what we do, and it's why we are so tired. Some of you are just about ready to chuck any last handle you have on the faith you were raised in for this reason. You're so tired. This, this stuff you're living in is so powerless because its battery's not included. You provide the energy for it. God is somewhere else. You've got to get to him. So it's all about your self-discipline, your wisdom, your strategies, your techniques, your perseverance, your dedication, your devotion, your track record, how much you've read the Bible, how much you've prayed, how much missions you've done, how much you've thought about God or how much you really mean it this time. And friends, Paul wrote this letter to these Christians in Colossi, Colossi because they're just like you. And that's why this series is called The Mystery of Maturity. The reason growing and maturing and becoming human beings is so mysterious is because our hearts are so scattershot with all of these ways of Ben finding his way back to God when in fact God was always here, waiting right here with me, for me, with all of his grace. The big question that you've gotta ask yourself, because you could be thinking right now, Man, this guy is repetitive. He keeps saying God is with us where we are. He meets us where we are. Well, then where's God? Because I don't see him, I don't feel him, and I don't hear him. So what's, where's your argument now that God is with me where I am? I, there's no evidence of him. I don't see him at all. Well, the question that you have to ask yourself, there's a question for you before there's a question for God of where are you. The question that comes to you first is, are you listening? Are you looking are your ears open? Are they plugged? Are they distracted? You got the earbuds of whatever is going on in your life that's just drowning out what his pursuit of you, his grace to you, looks like at this very moment. And so you're blind even though he's present. You're deaf even though he's talking. And again tonight I ask you, are you listening right now? Because this is another moment that Jesus is speaking to you and the question comes to you first. Are you listening? Not is he talking. Yes, he's talking. Yes, he's speaking. Yes, he's meeting you where you are. 
do you see him? Paul says this all over here. Hearing is crucial to these Colossians. Of this gospel you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. It's bearing fruit in the world just as it is in you since the day you heard it and understood it. The grace of God and truth just as you learned it from Epaphras. This same guy will say in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Do you wanna know how your faith grows? Do you wanna know how your ears will get unclogged? You start pounding into your head and into your heart and praying your heart out. Father, help me see you as you are. Jesus, let me see you as you are. Unclog my ears. I so want to believe that you are who you say you are, which is a traveler who meets you where you are, who leaves heaven to come to earth in our squalor, in our darkness, to bring us back out again. Friends, this is what life is like for us. This is what life can become when Jesus turns the, life, the light uh, back on for us. If you are a person like I was who was in a relationship with ideas about God for most of his life and not God himself, I wanna, I wanna ask you and plead with you tonight, open your ears. Pray that Jesus will help you open your ears. If you relate to God the way you relate to calculus, the way you relate to accounting, to chemistry, these lifeless, inanimate concepts where you have to put in all the effort to understand, then I'd ask you to reconsider the way you think about God because it's very different than the way God says he is. With all of your studies, who has to put in all the work? Has your accounting textbook ever taught you? Has the concept that you're studying in philosophy or the concept of trigonometry ever educated you, ever taken you under its wing and said, hey, hey, don't be discouraged, it's okay. Me and you are gonna walk through this together, no. These are lifeless concepts, they're true, they're worthy of knowing, but they have no animating life-giving power in and of themselves. So let me, let's end with this. Let me like play a little game of would you rather real quick. When it is December and you're trying to bump that, you know, C minus up to somewhere in the, please God, the territory of a B minus or something. Do you want, do you want a tutor who can, who can figure out what specific piece are you getting stuck with and how can I maybe help you think about it in a different way and encourage you? Or do you want another textbook? Um, when it's November and the anxieties you showed up to UGA with have only gotten louder and stronger and more dominating in your life, do you want a pill or do you want a counselor? Do you want a friend who will love you, who will groan with you, who will walk with you through that? When you're, when you're in a rough place, when you're in a better place, which do you want? When you're lonely, when you're the transfer student and it's next February and you still don't feel like you fit in this city or this university and you feel like a freshman all over again. Sorry, freshman, but you know, it's, it feels rough. And you're still lonely. Do you want a self-help book? Or do you want a person? So let me ask you, when you consider the places you're stuck, whether you know how you got there or you didn't, the places you're addicted, the places you're spinning your wheels, the places you're scared and confused, the places the dots aren't connecting and you don't even know what to think.
Do you want a person or do you want ideas? Lifeless, inanimate ideas or do you want a living God who is resurrected, who has eyes and sees, ears and hears, hands and helps, feet and walks? And he died on a cross in history to bring you out of the caves you're in and back with him into life forever. There is a Thai Navy SEAL who these kids nicknamed Superman, whose real name was Dr. Pak. He's a medical doctor. He's one of the, uh, the Navy SEALs for Thailand. Dr. Pak was one of the people who swam through this labyrinth of caves. If you watch the news, it took him up to six hours just to find the boys. And every day, more people were swimming with food and everything else. Dr. Pak is one of the first people to swim through these waters. It takes half a day to get to him. And this is about day nine when they arrive to where the boys are. For nine more days, Dr. Pack stays on that tiny little patch of sand with just a few headlamps and some you know, protein bars and stuff they brought in some water. And the, the kids said, and I heard this because they did the interview, the kids said he, the first thing he did when he got up and got his wetsuit off is he took off most of his clothes and he put his shirt and he put his pants and he put his sweatshirt around all of the little boys. And he sat there in his underwear, uh, shivering in this wet, dark, cold place for nine more days until he himself swam the last boy out of the cave. That is a pitiful, small, shadowy picture of what kind of God we're dealing with here. He's a God who gets in the mess. He's a God who gets tangled up in the worst of the worst and is still able to help you where you are, share his resources, his grace, his power with you and swim you out to freedom forever. Swim you out to life forever. We hope you find in RUF a place that doesn't just talk about this stuff but embodies it. We hope you meet people here who meet you where you are and don't leave you stuck there. And we want you to come join us as we meet UGA where it is and don't leave it stuck there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for uh, the presence of my friends here tonight. Pray that you would uh, do what you need to do. Um, Push this stuff deep into our heads and into our hearts. We're so forgetful. We're so fearful. Um, We're so suspicious of you. We really do pray and really do ask and really do need you to come and meet us where we are again. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.